You can sit down. I know! What a surprise! I know. No, you seriously can't sit down. You seriously can. Hey, uh, hey everyone. My name's Brett. I'm one of the pastors here. Hello. Hello. Um, we're going to be in Luke 5 this morning. In a few minutes, we'll uh, read that. So if you have a Bible or a phone or whatever, you can go ahead and get there. Um, we're in the middle of a, a series right now called Whole Life. And the, the, the subtitle dubbed, dubs it a series on integrated spirituality. Is, um, and so we're aiming, the aim of following Jesus is, well, number one, you get Jesus. And that's a, <laughs> that's a really big deal. Like there's nothing bigger. Um, but what Jesus does is Jesus takes our lives and he takes all the ways that we're fractured and unraveling and um, broken and he, 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 he weaves us back together. He puts us into, he gives us a whole life. Um, any kind of spirituality that you may have experienced at a church or in your life or wherever that um, is actually like breaking, your part, breaking apart your life or dividing your life or segmenting it, like this section over here or this, that is not a fully Christian spirituality. Um, the truly Christian, the truly Christ-centered spirituality is one that uh, puts our lives back together. And so over the the last couple of weeks, we've heard Joe um, we, um, walk us through worship, connecting and serving. We've been walking through what it means to pray in our lives, what it means to um, submit our lives um, to the grand story of Jesus revealed in Scripture. Um, we've been thinking about like what we do with our work, like our nine-to-five work, you know, or nine-to- seven work for, for some of us, or, um, you know, some, it, it's, it's crazy. The 40-hour work week is crazy because it's actually like 60 or 70 for a lot of us. Um, today, I want to um, glance very briefly at what the church has broadly called um, through history the spiritual disciplines is really what I want to kind of look at this morning. Um, there are, if you didn't know, there are things that we can do, like do, during the week, during the day, rubber meets the road kind of practices that we can build in our lives that help put our lives back together, <laughs> that wake us up to grace, that, that fill us with love. Um, when we're talking about like spiritual practices, um, what we're going to talk about briefly today. Um, we're not talking about like a cut and dry list of things. It's not like there's some, you know, 1,700-year-old document or 2,000-year-old document that's got all of them. The Christians disagree about it. They categorize them differently. Um, depending on where you look or who you ask, um, they may get divided up differently. I, um, you can go ahead and throw that slide up, that first slide. Um, today, broadly speaking, these are tried and true practices, and these are actually um, categorized by a guy, a theologian, by the name of Richard Foster. Um, his book, um, Celebration of Discipline, is right down there on the bottom. Um, I have not found a better resource for introducing people to the life of, of like rubber meets the road kind of spiritual practices. Um, he divides them up this way. Um, they're inward practices of meditation, prayer, fasting, and study. They're outward practices that like you're actually outwardly doing with like your body. Uh, simplicity, solitude, submission, service. And then there are things that you do with people, 
like corporately come together. You, you can confess your faith, your sin. You worship together. You seek guidance and you celebrate together. However you divide these up, and there are things, there, there may be like, if, depending on who you read, there may include some others, you know, leave some of these out. Um, but the church, historic, whispers to us, try these. Try these. These will guide you into life. If you're looking for something to do, if you feel like, oh, there's got to be more to this, uh, Try these. <laughs> these. These are the tried and true practices of the church. Um, I didn't grow up with much exposure to uh, spiritual practices, um, spiritual disciplines. Um, and you might be in the same boat as me of like some of these are a little unfamiliar. Um, but it's helpful to hear somebody just say, here they are. <laughs> here are some of them. Um, these are ways that you can practice your faith, that you can practice experiencing a more integrated, more centered, more whole kind of life. Some of them may be familiar to you. Some of them may not. I actually grew up in a tradition where um, the only uh, spiritual disciplines that I really heard growing up was um, read your Bible, pray, and don't miss too many Sundays. Uh, you know, it's, it's important to gather together for corporate worship, to pray, and, um, and to read the Bible in some sort of way. Uh, and um, to be sure, those, I don't know if we can overemphasize how important those are. Those are really, really central. Um, but it wasn't until in, in adulthood that as I started, like, discovering some of these practices that it started kind of, like, unlocking like the depth and the meaning of those things and actually started like helping me say, oh, okay, the spending some time in solitude actually and leaning into it actually started unlocking reading scripture for me, actually started unlocking uh, prayer for me, started giving me some sort of context for why we gather together in public uh, worship. Um, for me, uh, solitude, um, meditation, and confession, those are actually the three that have been like kind of game-changing in my life. Um, I think Jesus meets us in as many different ways as there are personalities in the room. Um, and so like your, it does not help to compare your spiritual walk and your relationship with Jesus to anyone else in the room. Um, what, but just know that there are practices that you can lean into and that you will discover some of them Jesus will meet you in. So anyway, uh, at the beginning here, I just thought it would be helpful to name these. Um, we can't talk about all of these in this series. We can't, for that matter, we can't talk about all of them today, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to make sure you are aware of this. Um, and I think it's really important um, for us to say something else about the spiritual disciplines. And this gets us into kind of the, the meat, the pulse, the, the heartbeat of, um, of this morning. Um, we can throw this slide up. We could say it this way. Um, spiritual practices... Oh, uh, sorry, you can... There's a, there's a slide um, before that. There's... Maybe not. Uh, <laughs> Spiritual pra yeah, there it is, there it is. Spiritual practices. Bless, can we just bless the tech team for a second? They, um, they, 
they keep up with a uh, sermon, and I, I send like a list of slides to, uh, to Dan uh, you know, earlier in the week, and he puts them together, and they, they bless us, but, so thank you guys. Um, we should say this about the spiritual um, disciplines, practices, that all the stuff that we can do in our life, spiritual practices don't change us. Spiritual practices don't change us. Spiritual practices make space for the spirit to change us. Um, that's really, really important as we start thinking about like an integrated life, uh, integrated spirituality, um, what we are doing when we actually do things through the week. Spiritual practices do not change our lives. They don't. God changes our lives. It's his grace. He's the one doing it. Um, spiritual practices are not our way of working hard. They're not somehow us cleaning up our own lives in some sort of way. The danger when we start talking about something that we do is that somewhere within us, quietly, something starts saying um, that we are making ourselves somehow more presentable to God. That somehow um, it is our responsibility to um, make ourselves more whole, more loving, more alive. Somewhere within us, um, we have the enemy whispering, it's your job to save yourself. And it's not. It's not God is saving this world. <laughs> it's really good news. And you can open yourself up to his salvation. Um, the spiritual practices do one thing. They do one thing. It's a really vital, it's a really important, central thing that they succeed in doing, but it's only one thing. The spiritual disciplines do not change our lives. The spiritual practices, the disciplines, they open our lives up to change to the spirit changing us. We're not making ourselves more presentable to God. We're not, we, we, all we're doing is making ourselves present to God. That's all we're doing. We're not how, somehow securing God's love. We are waking up to how secure we are in God's love. That's what spiritual disciplines do. Intentional practices through the week open us up to the work of God who's always at work, and he always wants to make us more alive. That's what spiritual... The, um, you can go ahead and throw that quote up now. This is, um, this is kind of weird. Oh, uh, back up. That, that quote. That one, yes, that one. Here it is. Uh, the spiritual practices, are, they're not an ancient form of self-help. They're, um, they're not a way for us to help channel our willpower. Richard Foster in that brilliant, masterful work, Celebration of Discipline, he puts it this way. He says, a farmer is helpless to grow grain. That's what a farmer does, isn't it? No, he's helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. Well, he cultivates the ground, he plants the seeds, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over, and up comes the grain this is the way it is with the spiritual practices or disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the spirit. The practices are God's way of getting us into the ground. They are a way of getting us 
into the ground. They put us where he can work within us and transform us. By themselves, the spiritual practices can do nothing. They only get us to the place where something can be done. They are God's means of grace. Yeah, (laughs) it's good, it's good, Richard Foster. Uh, The spiritual practices, they're not um, ancient self-help. They're not the big guns that we finally pull out and like, oh, sweet, somebody told me at church about some book and it's got things I can do in the week and now I can finally change myself. I can finally, no. If you've ever felt like you're incapable of changing yourself, it's because you are. It's because you are. We're hell. If you've ever felt like you're, you're incapable of saving yourself, it's because you are. We're helpless to clean ourselves up, helpless to save ourselves, helpless to grow grain. All we can do is we can sow to the Spirit. The church has long recognized that there are ways that we can sow to the spirit, that we can say, God, I'm opening myself up to you. I am tilling the soil of my life. I am following Jesus, dying like a seed going into the ground, and suddenly I'm, I'm trusting that when I die, there will be resurrection, that you will bring about resurrection. The mysterious spirit of God, though, is the one doing the work. It's not us, it's never us. Um, the, here's the good news, you can throw that slide up. Um, this is the gospel if you need to hear it this morning. The gospel is that God changes us and that God loves us before we're changed. Yeah. Sit in that, hear it this morning. The gospel is that God changes us and that God loves you before you are changed. Um, The good news is that God wants and can and will do what we are incapable of doing. God can and he will put our lives back together, the unraveling mess of our lives and put it together. And God, before he does any of it, God loves you right now in your unraveled mess, in your feeling less than alive. God loves you. Even while we are lost in death, God loves us. That's what the cross is all about, by the way. Now I'm going to start preaching. But Jesus is God in our agony, in our brokenness, in our unraveled rebellion and death. And Jesus is God saying, I'll take all of that. And three days later, he walks out of the grave and says, now, are you ready for something new? I can bring you into something new. That's the gospel, and it's for you this morning. You're invited to trust it. Um, We don't save ourselves with the spiritual disciplines. God saves us. We never change ourselves. God changes us. Um, We don't make ourselves more lovable. God already loves us. Spiritual disciplines are just a way of us opening up to the reality of God's love. God's life. We can't do anything other than invite and prepare and welcome the Spirit to 
change our lives. We can't do anything except get the soil ready. That's what the spiritual disciplines are all about. But it's always up to God in his grace, in his timing, in his power. It's up to God to make things grow. Um, he puts our lives back together. You're invited to believe that this morning. Anyway, Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be. We're, we are, um, we're halfway through the sermon. We really are. Um, and we haven't read the... Uh, no, no joke, we really are. I, 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 I have everything manuscripted, and so truly, we're on track. Um, <laughs> we always are. Um, but we haven't gotten to the scripture yet, so good grief. We better get to that. Um, I want to read a story out of Luke 5 this morning. Luke 5, um, I think this story, the simple story, actually gives us a really good framework for thinking about the spiritual disciplines. Um, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, write it down, ask me later. That's a good resource for you thinking about like the practical nuts and bolts. But this story in Luke 5, I think, is going to give us a really good framework for thinking about all of them, thinking about all of them this morning. So let's read it. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, um, that's the Sea of Galilee by another name, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Sounds like a good day. Uh, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. That's like sound waves actually echo better across water, if you're curious. You can hear better. Um, when he finished speaking, verse 4, he said to Simon, put, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master... We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled, their, and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. It's a ridiculous amount of fish. Think of the smell. Man, that's incredible. Um, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. It's a, um, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a uh, simple story. Jesus is teaching people, and they're crowding him. And so he gets into the boat of Simon Peter. And he teaches people from the boat. Um, and then when the teaching's done, verse 4, he, uh, he asks, okay, go out a little deeper. I want you to go out a little bit deeper and throw down your net. And so Simon Peter, bless him, um, he's just pulled an all-niner, it says, in verse 5. And he's got nothing to show for it. He's been working hard all night 
Like, that used to be okay to do when I was a teenager or in college, but like, the older you get, you're like, man, an all-nighter is devastatingly hard. He's got nothing to show for it. He, verse 2, he has already cleaned his nets. He's ready to go home. And he just sat through a sermon. <laughs> Bless him! <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's gone through it. Um, I don't know with certainty what... Peter is thinking about, but I can tell you with 100% certainty what I would be thinking about, S-L-E-E-P, sleep, (laughs) please, Lord. Um, But then Simon, bless him, he says in verse 5, he says, because you say so, I will let down the nets. And then in what follows, in what follows, Peter experiences the most transforming of experiences, It's like a transformative experience of the presence of God. He calls Jesus Lord. That's what Luke's been using that title throughout the beginning of it for the God of Israel. Lord, 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 the Lord God of Israel. And he suddenly sees the Lord God of Israel in front of him. He has a transformative experience. He sees God differently in this moment. He sees himself differently in this moment. He falls to his knees and says, I am a sinful man. He, he, everything in his life, what he's going to do with the rest of his life. You're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. You're going to be fishing for people. God, him, and the trajectory, the vocation of the rest of his life, all get transformed in this moment, um, in this story. But it's really strange what happened in this story. It's really strange. I haven't seen it on any list. I didn't see it up on Richard Foster's list even of spiritual disciplines. But apparently fishing can be a spiritual experience. (laughs) Apparently, fishing can be a spiritual practice is what happens. We're not talking about fishing instead of, you know, I'm going to blow off gathering with the saints. But we're talking about this practical, normal, everyday task of fishing has suddenly somehow become a moment when Simon Peter opened up to the presence and the power of God. Peter is a fisherman by trade. This is what he does. Is this the first time that Peter has gone fishing? No, no, it's not, Brett. Rhetorical questions. Big hauls of fish, small hauls of fish, nights where there are no hauls of fish. He's pretty familiar with his job and the water and the results and the lack of results. He's pretty familiar with all of this. What seems to make this haul of fish different is not the quantity of fish, What seems to have opened Peter up to the life, the transforming grace of God, is a change in his motivation. A change in his motivation. Why is Peter putting down the nets? Well, he tells us, he says, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Someone watching from the shore 
doesn't see anything. Just imagine watching from the shore this scene, and they, they just see Simon Peter casting nets into the, into the ocean. It doesn't look any different to anybody who's not in this moment with him. There's Simon Peter doing what he always does. He's living his life. He's casting it. He just cleaned those. <laughs> He's throwing them back out again, whatever. The outward action looks the same, and yet the inward motivation of why he's doing this has changed. Something within Peter has changed. The why is different. The, the thing driving Peter in this moment is obedience. Obedience to Jesus. He's obeying Jesus. He's responding to Jesus' invitation. He's submitting himself to Jesus' instruction. The why he's doing what he's doing here has changed. Well, I've been fishing all night. But because you say so, I'm doing this normal thing for a different reason. I'm, I'm... in obedience to you, Jesus, in dedication to you, to serve you, to honor you. I'll listen to you. I'll follow you. And so it's a normal thing that he's doing. It doesn't look different or spectacular to anybody on shore, but that's what makes this moment different. I think that's what opens Peter up to this incredible experience of God in his life to transformation of his life. Maybe um, this is a good way of thinking about all of the spiritual disciplines. I think it is, because I've done a sermon about it. Um, Every spiritual practice that we might bring into our lives, we can view this way, we could say it this way. Spiritual practices are ordinary practices with a new why. That's what spiritual practices are, if you're looking for what, like, We could say it this way, in fact. We could say spiritual practices are ordinary practices directed at a who. That's that's what spiritual practices are in your life. The inner decision towards a who, the decision of why I'm doing this thing is a is the like powerful, essential ingredient baked into all spiritual practices. There is a why baked in to these actions. An intentionality that's saying, I'm doing this thing in response to you, Lord. To you, Lord. The why is new. The why is new. That's it. Our motivation is such a powerful, essential ingredient that it can transform normal, everyday, ordinary, stinky practices into spiritual practices. A couple of years ago, I was um, pastoring a small church in Denver, and I was working another full-time job. It was like a half-time position, so I was working a full-time job. And then I had a newborn with some medical issues, a Daisy. She's doing great, by the way. You've seen her running around. Yeah, that's worth clapping. She's cruising around without her walker at this point. It's awesome. So I'm working a full-time job. I'm pastoring this church half-time. We've got a newborn with some medical issues, and we have a 12-month-old Daphne, precocious little thing, toddling around 
around. And um, I could say that we were tired, but that doesn't really scratch the surface of it. New parents know what, yeah, new parents know what I'm talking about. Um, the church's situation that I was pastoring was unique and small, and I really didn't have anybody that, I, um, that could fill in for me on Sundays. And so every week, in addition to my 40-hour-a-week job, I would spend several hours on Saturday um, at a coffee shop named Ziggy's, um, piecing together a sermon from like notes that I'd been working on during the, during the week. One Saturday in particular, I remember I was at Ziggy's at around 7.30 in the morning. I'd settled in with like my Bible and my laptop and most importantly, can I get a witness some coffee? And, um, and then I took a sip and I just sat there. I stared at the screen, I stared at the words in this book, and nothing, I'm just exhausted. Friday night into Saturday morning had like been some sort of like really rough night with Daisy. She was on oxygen at that point, and new parents are like already living in a state of exhaustion, and so I just like sat there, exhausted, <laughs> tired, weary, and thinking, tomorrow morning is coming. Sunday is tomorrow. I gotta get this done. I gotta get a sermon. <laughs> you gotta have one. And then, um, and it's like this crushing kind of pressure of like all of life in addition to this. And somewhere in the midst of all of this, this gentle thought just came floating into me. I think that's how the spirit speaks a lot of times. It's just this gentle thought that I wasn't thinking came to me and it said, stop the sermon prep. Go home. Rest. Give your wife a nap. But preparing the sermon is important. You, you know what's really important in this? You, no, you know what's really important in this moment is your sanity your health, your bride, stop the sermon prep. And then the voices from my voices came around, the voices of, get the sermon ready. You gotta prove that you're a good pastor. You gotta like make sure that you're earning your keep because people for some reason think that pastors don't work, but we work our tails off. Like, we gotta prove my keep. All these things are shouting at me. And within it, somewhere deeper was whispering beneath all the shouts of fear and pressure and exhaustion. It was like the spirit was inviting me to rest from having to get something else done. It was this moment. Hear me. The reason I tell that story is it's this bizarre moment where stopping sermon prep became a spiritual practice because of the why I'm like totally dedicated to doing this to like helping people understand scriptures it's not something that I shirk but like in that moment this thing that seems like really obvious oh that's the good spiritual thing to be doing that was actually getting in the way of trusting Jesus it was this moment where I had to like surrender something that I love doing 
the way that people might perceive me on a Sunday, the illusion that somehow people's lives get changed through the eloquence of my words. I had to like surrender all of this, and so I closed the laptop. I got up, I cranked the car, I drove home, I gave Joy a nap. That's what I did. And then I took a nap. (laughs) We rested, and it was profoundly spiritual practice because of the why. Strange as it sounds, in that moment at Ziggy's, trying to buckle down, trying to plow through, trying to get the work done would not have been an act of faith. It wouldn't have been an act of trust. The trust was surrendering this thing. Plowing through would have been me continuing to live in a world where everything depends on me. And so the act of faith in that moment, the why, actually involved me stopping my regular rhythm, going home and resting, which is weird. From the shore, from a distance, if somebody had been watching me, It didn't look like anything special. It didn't look like anything spiritual for that matter. What what it looked like to somebody else might have looked like, oh, Brett's being irresponsible. Brett's going home and taking a siesta. He's having a nap from the outside. Like from the shore, it just looks like a nap, right? But the why is different. The why is different because you say so, Lord. And it transformed stopping sermon prep into a spiritual practice. Really str- One of the current spiritual practices that I have um, in my life actually involves um, my reading of scripture. This isn't what you think it's gonna be. Um, I do read scripture, you should too. If you follow Jesus, it helps reorient you in the story of Jesus. Um, so my morning routine actually regularly looks like me taking a shower, thank you, um, making a cup of coffee, and then reading like a few chapters from scripture at the kitchen table. By God's grace over the years, somehow like he's made me fall in love with scripture. I love doing this. And my time in scripture, it does, it reorients me in the life of Jesus, in the universe we live in, a a universe that's Jesus' universe, it reminds me that I live in a good world and that the good God of this good world loves me. And every morning, without fail, as I'm experiencing this, one or both of my girls will come up to me and want my attention. Daphne will say, look at my umbrella, look at my wand, look at my costume. Daisy will say, book, read, Um, and she doesn't mean, she's not handing me a book about theology or the secrets of the kingdom. She's holding a book about Daniel Tiger or Toy Story, and she wants to sit with her papa and read, and every morning, without fail, as a spiritual discipline, as a spiritual practice, I say yes. Say yes. They know with certainty that their papa likes to drink his coffee and read some big book. They know that with certainty. But what I want to make sure is that they know with equal certainty that their papa loves them. 
I want to make sure that I'm not just like reading about the love of God, but that I am actually embodying the love of God to the least of these. From the shore, it looks like I'm just stopping reading my Bible. That's what it looks like from the shore, and I have, to be sure. I've stopped reading scripture from the book. Uh, Or from the shore, it looks like I'm just stopping from the boat. In the boat, I'm falling on my knees and recognizing the goodness and beauty of God in the presence of my children. It's this moment where I'm quietly saying, because you say so, Jesus. I read these scriptures because you say so, and I embrace this interruption because you say so. Because this interruption holds the secrets of the kingdom. The difference between normal practices and spiritual practices is the why is the why. Normal practices become spiritual practices when the why becomes different. Our normal, day-to-day, ordinary life is made of moments, right? Moments. Many of them annoying moments where we don't really want to talk to that person right now. Like ordinary boring moments where we're like washing dishes or we're stuck in traffic where we're basically going to be doing this thing anywhere. And all of these moments are moments that we can offer to Jesus. This conversation isn't the one that I want to be having right now with them. But because you say so, Jesus, I'm going to be present with this person. I'm going to give them love, my full attention, my full empathy for five minutes. Big sacrifice, five minutes of my day. And suddenly, in that moment, we are sowing to the Spirit. We are tilling the soil. It is a place where the Spirit of God can grow resurrection life in us. We're getting the soil ready. We're making room for God. God wants to transform the things in our lives that don't look spiritual because they are. (laughs) They are. Suddenly, throwing the net out again is a spiritual practice because the ordinary practice has a new why. Suddenly you're like talking to that person you don't want to, reading a book to your child, you're accepting your limits and taking a nap. Suddenly everyday moments can become like spiritually electric because the why changes, because you recognize the who central to every spiritual practice. What I'm saying this morning is central to every spiritual practice is the why. Spiritual practices are everyday practices offered to Jesus. That's all it is. The ordinary feeling of hunger. You guys may be right now. Uh, the The ordinary feeling of hunger that we have gets offered to God and it intentionally leaned into for a day or a couple of days, and it becomes fasting. The ordinary experience of not talking, 
most of you, thank you, are not talking right now. You're experiencing this ordinary thing of not talking, but suddenly, if you offer it to God over the course of a day, if you intentionally lean into not talking, it becomes divine silence and a space for you to reflect and listen and hear what's going on around you and where the spirit's at work. Our ordinary suffering that we all experience. Anyone, else, anyone in the room suffering? <laughs> we take suffering, our ordinary experience of it, and we offer it to God. We intentionally lean into the suffering and it becomes a cross, a divine cross where we learn to trust God, where he crucifies our self-centeredness and it becomes a wellspring of love and empathy for other people. Our ordinary moments where we taste something delicious, where we see a sunset, where we hear a child laugh, ordinary moments of goodness and beauty get offered to God. We intentionally lean into them for a moment and we, it becomes a taste of what's to come. It becomes a taste of resurrection and where God is taking this entire universe. So the question that I'm going to just leave you with this morning and it leads us to the table is this question, where can I practice saying because you say so? That's the question. We're invited to become really intentional with the normal stuff of our lives. Things like hunger or our words, or our time, or our suffering. Everyone, this is the really like, cool thing, every one of us already has an everyday life. It's a life that's everyday. It's just, there's nothing special about it, you know, from the outside. It's a life, however, that's already surrounded by the Father's arms, already saturated by the Spirit's presence, and we're invited to wake up to that and to submit our everyday lives that we already have to Jesus again and again and again. And the Spirit transforms us through that. Let's pray. The band can come up. If you're serving communion, you can come forward and prepare the table. Lord, we ask that you would um, help us remember what you are like, that you are always eager, you're always present, you're always working to transform us where we are helpless. Please, um, we ask that you would make us awake, wake us up to our lives and help us submit our everyday moments to you and approach them with a new why. May your spirit grow your good and beautiful life in the everyday soil of our lives, we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.